This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Cities have become these huge engines whereby 70-80% of economic growth concentrates in cities. But there's also what we call the evil challenges or the evil problems of urbanization. In cities that are well-managed, well-planned, well-organized, they achieve greater amount of pros- progress and prosperity by achieving agglomeration. Now, as we come into 2020, there were already a number of factors that were, were what I call impacting the urban growth challenges, uh, whereby we, we have already seen the issues of uh, inequality in cities. Uh, we have seen aging, the shifting of demographics, uh, we have we have also seen uh, issues of climate change becoming uh, major. What they call this uh, ch- uh, factors of how cities will have to, to face these kind of externalities, and maybe that is the context that we now need to look at 2031, right? In a sense that while COVID is present, but COVID is not only factor coming into the crisis. We already had challenges of inequality, climate change, um, and also shifting demographics. Cities are here to stay. That's number one, right? Uh, cities are going to be a very important part of every nation's uh, pro, uh, what you call growth and development, progress and prosperity. Cities are going to play a critical and fundamental role how people will achieve upward mobility in their uh, ability to uh, progress and uh, achieve greater money. But cities also will see a big. Sh- I, I think in the in the, de- in the decade ahead, there will be a greater efforts towards dealing with the externalities that I spoke about earlier about inequality, about climate change and so on. These are going to be the big challenges that cities will have to deal with. Not only the issue of making them to be uh, pandemic resilient, but they need to make them to become uh, socially resilient and also environmentally and, and, and all, you know, to become climate resilient. And I think that's going to become the big challenge that we will have to deal with as, as we head towards 2031. Hamdan Abdul Majid is the managing director of Think City, an established city-making organization that aims to change the way cities are planned, developed, and celebrated by connecting with governments, local communities, and the private sector. Hamdan is here to talk about the way forward for cities because while they might look like jungles made out of concrete and iron and glass, anyone who's ever lived in a city knows that it has a life of its own, right? It breeds, it evolves, it lets people in, it kicks people out, and it has the tendency of reflecting the people who inhabit it. And now, with the idea of smart cities powered by artificial intelligence soon to be a reality, we'll have to carefully decide what kinds of cities we want to design for ourselves in the near future. My name is Arvind Yuvraj, and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world to come, but a record of the times that we are in now, with technologies and concepts that are so big that they could, one day, change everything. Historically, cities, when they were laid out, you know, uh, it has been laid out in terms of around how modes of transportation 
uh, were designed. So there were cities where people were walking. So you find very highly compact inter uh, interconnected cities. Uh, when you, they had bullock carts and uh, horse carts, uh, horse carriages, the cities were uh, then designed differently. Now this were probably what you see the cities in Europe and so on. And then you saw the advent of cities when they had motorized transport. Um, and and now we are we're coming to a new age where uh, public transportation system shared mobility and in an environment where what do you call uh, people will, will look at new forms of uh, new forms of approaches to how people will move around what what this means is that as we think about planning you know we also need to think about what the future scenario that will prevail you know we have come from an environment whereby it, a lot of the planning has been organized around uh, transport systems and also where uh, uh, in terms of how jobs the, the development side of it right uh, has been organized so there are some cities that are more service-based where administrative functions services are organized and the cities are then those and there are cities where it's a lot more organized around industries so in the case of cities like example would be the case of industries uh, it is a lot of times it has been in environments where uh, workforce has been organized to live closer to those industrial estates and, uh, and townships have grown around those industrial estates. In the, fir the first category of cities of uh, those who are, which are capital cities or new urban centers where uh, urban administrative functions and services have been organized, uh, it has a function around what we call a, a donut city model whereby where people uh, lived in suburbs, they worked in the city and there's a continuous kind of commute that took place. And this has been the kind of environment how we have seen our cities have grown and, 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 and evolved in Malaysia, particularly. As we go ahead, I think factors that will be, that we need to consider is that, you know, like I said earlier with public transportation systems, uh, you know, when there's an increase in mode share uh, from private car to public transport or uh, e-hailing services and so on, shared mobility, um, it means that, that, that people do not own a car, but rather they choose to get, uh, have access to a service. And or it could be the case where the modes of transportation as it seems, the car may not be there, but a different modes of transportation will prevail. And given that the technological frontier is radically shifting, this will mean that in the future, you may, you may not need car parks. Uh, you may not need as much roads. You need to ensure that, that those thinking is embedded as, because you know, that the frontiers of change is no longer very far off, but rather it's right, far, right present in front of us today. Um, there is this big issue of the hollowing out of city centres as people move towards like suburban areas like right, because they want to live in the suburbs, they want to work in the city. Um, and that brings its own social issues in a way. How will that sort of uh, approach impact the way we design cities um, in the future? All right, one of the things that we need to understand is the part of the reason why I, I think I probably highlighted earlier about the donut city, whereby when you call, people converge into cities during the day and the night, the city being set, city centers become empty and people are operating out of their suburbs. This is uh, probably uh, an outcome of an uh, automobile, automobile-led uh, city development model uh, by virtue that the mobility now allows you to live and commute at a further distance. Uh, and, you know, when you moved as a result that you wanted either quality of life, you wanted a bigger space or it was cheaper to move outside. But as more and more people move out, uh, the city centers hollow out and, and you know, um, cities also face decline. But that trend is what I think has now reversed. 
or you know closer into even Singapore, where downtown Singapore is going through has gone through a major reprogramming and and uh, and uh, and, uh, and a whole new rethinking in terms of how city centres can be made to become productive places, not only for economic activities but great places to live, uh, work and play. And I think that shift is going to become a more permanent shift, and uh, and and more and more of that will happen. The challenge is that how do you ensure that it that it doesn't just become a case of trifid downtown centres, but rather a more inclusive development model. But as we look ahead, uh, one of the key things that we think that will probably need that that we need to embrace uh, as we look uh, in terms of how cities are designed, planned, and executed is that no longer the models of top down. Uh, uh, model uh, approaches will will be the way of how cities will be planned and done, but uh, more and more it's going to be inclusive. It's going to be very participatory. Second, we're going to see that you know cities work in a system. It no longer works as in, in, uh, as standalone entities, but uh, they, they are a network or the system of cities. In fact, in, in in the case of Malaysia, we will see how our suburbs and others eventually evolve to become uh, city hubs, smaller city hubs. That eventually be part of a polycentric system of cities, a network of cities. We also will see that uh, the scale of planning and, th- and development is no longer beyond on a, on a city as an entity, but rather it's, it's going to be a network of cities across a system. And I think that's going to be the new new form of the urban scale of planning and, and development. And that will mean that there will be greater amount of specialization and uh, uh, and and also there's going to be people who are going to choose to. To, to locate themselves in places where they find greater amount of pleasure, um, you know, with at the advent of uh, uh, you know high speed rail uh, and also new forms of uh, uh, mobility, uh, you know, and connectivity, you know, with high speed broadband and others, um, we think and, and that, that, that the future will be one where there will be greater amount of people uh, making the choices and jobs organizing themselves around where talent is going to locate. We need more smart cities, but rather more, more than just a technology-driven smart city, it needs to be also people-driven smart cities, behavioral change and adaptive to the new forms and norms of how, what do you call, uh, uh, we need to adjust and, and adapt to the changing environments and so on. Um, we also see that, most importantly, we also see that there needs to be new forms of governance and management of cities. We continue to hang on to the institutions and uh, rules and models of uh, governance and management that we inherited from the 20th century. We live in the 21st century, and in the 21st century, we see we have we have we have been we have faced we have been we are seeing through a radical shift in terms of how technological shift, demographic shift, uh, what do you call the issues of climate change and others. And in this context, there needs to be nimbleness. There needs to be greater speed in terms of decision making. There is also a need for local level participation. No longer the models of deciding in the center will be tenable uh, as we move ahead to the next decade and the years ahead, because that those models have uh, are falling are falling apart. That does not mean there's no role for the center, but rather the center needs now reinvent its role in areas where it can deliver those uh, outcome that it's best responsible for. So you mentioned the, the, the network cities, which is like a, v- a very interesting uh, thing. And I wanted to expand on that a bit. Um, when it comes to a network of cities, or when it comes to uh, cities, smart cities, right? So that is very tech-based. 
what influences what in that situation? Like, does the tech influence the city or does the city influence the tech? Because if you're going to have a, an interconnected city with a sort of like hive mind for traffic management, for traffic flow, for uh, even for social management, right? Um, how do you do that? Do you build it according to the tech that you have or do you retrofit the tech to fit into the city? And then how are they going to influence each other? I think it's going to be a, a, not a case of uh, a slave and serve relationship, lah. I think it's going to be one where it's symbiotic by nature, by virtue that the tech will enable things, while people will also enable technology. Uh, technology is not static and it's dynamic. It will adapt and evolve. And I think as we progress ahead, new solutions, new technologies, new approaches will emerge. As we have seen how much has changed over the last three decades, uh, whereby what do you call, with the advent of internet and the internet of things which is now becoming a reality, the speed of communication, the speed of interaction means that that, uh, that the drivers to this are, are at the end of the day still human beings. It's the human beings who determine how tech can be both a positive uh, enabler or, uh, or we end up becoming slaves to technology itself. I think that is something that it requires uh, society to be equipped to make those choices right in the right manner. And that requires proper education, uh, 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 probably also bringing about greater understanding and ability to, for society to deal with these issues uh, in, uh, in, in, in a most effective manner. So just moving from that a bit, uh, you, you mentioned uh, the pandemic a few times. So looking at how like, you know, a lot of people are working from home now and that, that seems like something that's going to stick in uh, work culture for like a long, long time. How do you think that is going to impact the way, uh, not just like cities, but even buildings are built, uh, the way like small townships are planned? Because will we see uh, smaller offices because of that, you know, because there's less demand for space? Will we see uh, greener spaces because of the, the health crisis that we're having now? So we move towards a more like a sustainable design. Um, what other ways do you think that the pandemic is going to impact the way people even think of like building design and, and office design in the future? I think... I think green, sustainability, and so on is given. You know? The issue is more about the case of what's the future of space in the post-pandemic world and in an environment where people work from anywhere. But even though we work from anywhere, the reality is that they will need for, what do you call, uh, for, for people to converge, for people to exchange, people to transact, for people to, what do you call, uh, to interact, uh, to socialize, and so on. So cities will go back to its core role. Because fundamentally, say, why do you have cities? Why did people come to cities? People could, you know, organize themselves around cities because it was, one, to give them the form of security. But more importantly, it was a place where they can actually engage one another. It's in a place where they were able to transact efficiently. Uh, This is a place where ideas grew and evolved. Now, while there is technology and others around us and also that, you know, we we think with, uh, will those factors still remain important? Our view, I think, is that those factors will remain important and will become even more important. And and so that's number one. Number two is that we think that as we move forward, that um, Malaysia particularly will have to deal with the issue of uh, urban sprawls. Urban sprawl has resulted in a in, in great amount of inefficiency. Uh, example would be that transport cost is a, is a big factor of anyone's personal budget in Malaysia today, particularly for the B40. And, 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 you know, most people are ending up living and traveling and commuting. In a day, the commute comes to about more than two hours a day. Uh, and, and that's a huge cost on the economy. So it becomes a drag. So this issue of urban sprawl needs to be really re-looked at and so on. 
Third, Malaysia is already emerging into an aging society. So which means that there is going to be a lesser demand drivers. Uh, and for those who are aging, they're also going to demand less of space. When you have a growing family, you want greater space and so on. But when you're starting to age and you have smaller families, you're going to be asking for less lesser amount of space. So we think with or without COVID, those trends were already in place. I think COVID is now accelerating. And with COVID, there's probably a greater amount of reassessment, even for the basics of what we have had, whether can we do it, can do can we do uh, without it? And they may even scale down the offices. But there are some who will have to still operate in the old in the old norm. So I think uh, on a balance in a in a in a balance, I think we we would see that uh, the demand drivers will start weakening, driven by the COVID uh, post pandemic world factors. Uh, going into the crisis, we had already an oversupply, and also the fact that this demographic shift and uh, the population growth rates factors uh, are things that will mean that that the future demand will need to move from quantity to qualitative growth. Uh, and and this is going to be one of those big big I think factors that will shape the landscape for the real estate sector. Uh, we we are needing to deal with climate issues in we need to face climate issues in, in probably in a very significant way climate issues are sometimes not well understood and well comprehend because it's not there on an everyday basis it's not seen everyday basis climate change is very it's not it's not something in very distant which is today it's now it's happening around us we have seen how Kuala Lumpur was submerged you know in a in a rain after a couple of hours and and the city fell into a standstill and uh, and everything came into a disorder now, that's a significant cost. We saw the rain in Penang over, over a day in 2017 resulted in a huge economic loss of more than a billion ringgit. Um, these events are going to become more regular. That means that you know, we'll face greater periods of drought, but we also see greater amount of rain in the shorter periods. Second is that many parts of, of the country that are, that are low-lying will also be equally affected, which means that, that people who are in low-lying areas would see as a result of sea sea level rises and so on, that we could face greater amount of, uh, or rather we'll be, have greater amount of vulnerability. Third is that we will also see the fact that with sea level water rises and so on, our, our water systems could be salinated. Uh, and this would affect our groundwater and others, which means areas for agriculture will be affected. Food production systems will be affected. The reason why people were able to converge in cities was that there was agriculture surplus historically all through history, right? Uh, that allowed then people to shift away from some of us to move from agriculture to other forms of activities. Uh, but this climate crisis will mean that, that there's going to be greater pressure in, in food production and agriculture that will also need to be concentrated. And lastly is that we also will deal with the issue that parts of the world will see climate refugees, in fact, there is a data point that says that there will be 1 billion climate refugees in the, in the, in the coming decades. The question then arises, where would these people move to? So in that context, I think our level of preparedness to face climate change in cities will have to have greater importance, a greater effort, and probably uh, what I call uh, a collective drive, between, especially between citizen and state, to ensure that, that we all work towards a common goal 
uh, and ensure that that we that we that we we take ownership about uh, making our cities to become great places to live, work, and play. Okay, so I I like that you mentioned the the climate crisis because you know uh, I don't know if this makes sense, but one of the one of the ideas to sort of combat that is um, our modular buildings or our modular architecture um, buildings that are being used for multi-purpose things, right? You mentioned the the donut cities, so they work there and then they hollow it out at night, and then the buildings are not being used for anything. So, what are your thoughts on that? You know, like um, buildings or spaces that are used for multiple things depending on the time. Of of day, uh, so that they are more sustainable and, and they are more eco-friendly. All right, I, I endorse it in the sense that I think more and more we need to have spaces that are dynamic, modular, and adaptive. Uh, and architecture design will need to now have greater uh, needs have greater focus in terms of being able to build that kind of uh, what do you call flexibility, modularity, and also adaptability. In the future, as we deal with this environment, there's going to be a need. While we operate in a workout world, we need to have high level of reliability, because in order to face crisis, in order to ensure resiliency, we need greater amount of adaptability and resilience inbuilt. Uh, and that means that we need to embrace the idea of uh, making things more modular and also um, uh, adaptable. We never knew that our homes would become our offices. I think it's in that context that we have seen more recently there's been conversations around the donut economics model, uh, the idea of, of what do you call uh, ensuring that, that there's a greater amount of uh, resilience uh, to be built in cities and so on. So I think like a good way to sort of uh, wrap this up would be to talk about for you personally, um, what is your ideal 2031 in terms of how cities are planned, how cities are built? Like, what would you like to see? Um, and in your mind, like, well, what is just an ideal 2031? Maybe I, I would just contextualize in terms of the my organization, Think City. So when we established Think City, it was, it was in, in the region when the world marked uh, half of humanity uh, live in cities. In fact, it was at that point it dawned upon me to realize that, you know, uh, that we today are an urban species. And that there's a great amount of challenge that we now need to really address about how do you now make our cities work? How do you ensure that the cities become that places of hope and possibility? How do you ensure that those dreams will be realized? I think those fundamental factors will be there and will continue to be challenges that we will need to deal in 2021. But on top of it, we also hope that we would have greater ability to deal with issues of inequality, making our cities more inclusive, and, and, and while we are trying to enable them to become intelligent and smart, we also want to make sure that they are resilient and able to face crises, be it uh, the health crisis or the climate crisis that will be there for us to deal with. You can find more about Think City at thinkcity.com.my and you can find Hamdan on Twitter at Hamdan Majid. Be sure to follow Futurescapes wherever you're streaming this from so you don't miss out on future episodes because we'll be talking about deep fake, autonomous cars and the future of space travel. For now, here's a clip from a documentary called 1999 AD which was released in 1967 and it describes the quote-unquote future and essentially predicts online shopping and the internet overall. This has been Arvini Viraj on Futurescapes, BFM 89.9.
Fingertip shopping will be one of the many homemaker's conveniences. This video console will be channeled into the store of her choice. There, a camera will scan a display of wares, which she will select by push button. Another part of this console is a household monitor screen, which maintains a watch on critical areas in the house, swimming pool, or yard. What the wife selects on her console will be paid for by the husband at his counterpart console. All bills and transactions will be carried out electronically. A central bank computer will debit the family's account the amount of purchases and credit the department store, for example, informing the family's home computer at the same time. Father, at the touch of a button, receives an instantaneous printed copy of his budget, the amount of taxes he owes, the payments left on the car, and so forth. All documents and household records are available on the video screen for immediate reference. Also at his disposal is an electronic correspondence machine, or home post office, which allows for instant written communication between individuals anywhere in the world. To maintain these and hundreds of complex electronic circuits, a monitor checks all circuits every few seconds, inserts a backup circuit if and when trouble develops, and alerts the communal service agency for replacement. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.